<laughs> so the, the, there is a there is an elephant um, not in the room. And a massive Ghanaian elephant. Yes, a big Ghanaian elephant. And we we should just address this straight away. Yeah. Um, this, in fact, this is why I remember when we first started this, I was like, should we call this uh, four black guys in a box? And that plan was scuppered because one of the black guys put two black guys in his box on the <laughs> Skype video. So it's five black guys. And he's now exited his own box. And yeah, so... Unfortunately, due to career commitment and other things, Kofi Smiles has, uh, he's, I guess he's left. He's left the building. So I'm like Kiki Palmer. I'm, I'm sorry to this man. I do not know this man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I do not know this man. Um, yeah, mate, honestly, he's, he's gone. So I, I don't know how else to say this. I didn't prepare anything, but uh, it's, it's, it's left on good terms. Yeah, it definitely has. Uh, and he contributed a lot. And he's, there's always a place for him back on this pod, provided he doesn't set up a competitor on BBC Sounds at any any point in the future. Because <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like that's what he was going to do. Yeah. And it's on-site beef. So, you know. Nate's got his goons waiting. I told you, £50 for a nitty. (laughs) (laughs) We might have to just drop the sound on that. Um, (laughs) Back again. Episode 9. Black guys. In a box, <laughs> um, and we are here with, to my left, Angelo, uh, Black Unicorn on hiatus, uh, feeling fresh, feeling good, ready to throw some shots. Some may say the hiatus is over because uh, you know you're out here. <laughs> I'm not writing though. I'm not writing. Yeah, this is true. This is this very is true. true. I'm just keeping the pen locked and loaded for now. And back again, we have the voice of all women. Back again, Alana, the token yank, representative of all females. <laughs> we got Nate, who's feeling a little fragile, but we continue. We continue. And Dom, feeling exactly the same. Ooh, my voice sounded good there. We got that very white. Uh, and Dan, of course. <laughs> Topic number one, allyship. Allyship, some may say. Who, who would who say that? Who says that, yeah. Me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who brought this topic up? It was the Megan... It, well, I mean, Rapp- like, Rapp- I, yeah, to give a bit of background to this, it was Megan Rapino, the women's soccer player, player of the... Was it she player of the World Cup? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She outstanding, quite she's funny. Bad boy player. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's decent. Goals yeah. go And up. when she accepted an award, I'm not sure if it was an ESPN award, uh, she gave a speech about uh, the importance of allyship and the importance of people like uh, Raheem Sterling and others and the problems they had to face and how... Kaepernick. Uh, yeah, like Colin Kaepernick mm. as well. And the sacrifices they'd made for other people and the importance of lifting people like that up and supporting them. So that is the background to this topic. Ooh. So, would you like to... Uh, and dive in, Angela? Yeah, I will. Um, I've been thinking about allyship because w- we were, to be clear to the audience, we were unsure whether we should even take this topic. That's because we were like, we started doing like a reverse oppression Olympics. It's like, well, it's not too bad for us. We're kind of, you know, black guys, we're, we're not so bad now. We're cisgendered. It's all, it's all cool. Um, but I think that actually that isn't quite what I was taking from it. I think that, I think as long as your allyship starts at home, then it's fine. Like, 
you know, my allyship started with educating myself and having other people educate me, opening up my circles. Um, I think that one thing that's become a lot clearer to me as I've got older, so you guys know I was, went back to university last year to do uh, post-grad, is there's all this talk about being lifelong learners. You know, mm. we've got to be lifelong learners, you know, that we're, uh, this happens in education where we talk about how we're preparing young people for jobs that don't exist yet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are some people that have jobs as podcasters, BBC Sounds Get Us. Um, <laughs> but what I realize is that actually people don't want to have their minds changed. They want to kind of be able to say, look, this is what I believe. It's because of my traditions, it's because of my religion, it's because of my faith. And there aren't actually many people that want to have their minds changed. And also, you combine that with the fact that communities are shrinking. And the communities that aren't shrinking, the communities that are growing, they're not personal face-to-face -face communities, they're online communities. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's like, I've got 250 friends on Facebook. I, you know, some of them I don't know, you know, but yeah. I just accept any and everybody. So our interactions, I think, have moved away from a mutual quest for learning and more into this kind of, when we communicate, it's this kind of way to demonstrate that I'm really knowledgeable about a topic and mm -hmm. you need to get yourself educated, you know, because, you know, don't, if you're gonna be throwing around labels like woke, do you even realize that in 1861, some obscure thing uh, actually contradicts what you're saying? <laughs> and it's like, no, I didn't, but you don't have to kind of be an a-hole about it. So I think allyship for me, my opening salvo would be that, let's start it with people that we know yep. and let's mm -hmm. start it kind of with ourselves. Yeah, I think building on that, this topic was one of those where I was like, oh, how much can I speak to this? Yeah. Because, you know, if my, I've got a broad friendship group of, of all, you know, across the spectrum of LGBTQT plus. And it oh, just, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to speak on their behalf. I don't want to do any of that. But I think for me, it's just, you know, supporting them where I can. It's the little things for me. Uh, like, for example, I was in a, a meeting and my female colleagues was one of, the, the people in the meeting was talking over her, wasn't giving her the space to talk. And for me, it's like, this is where I can create that space. And you lot know me, I'm not afraid to tell someone to shut up, innit? So, you know, just creating <laughs> the space in the meetings and, and just, you know, in the interactions of my day to day, it, for me, that's where it has to start. And yeah. I think a big thing as well is I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to educate people. For me, it's, I'm just trying to share experience and like, I think I'm relatively open-minded. Well, uh, well, you know, I am trying to educate at all times. Um, and I've just, I've just pulled up sort of guide to allyship.com and they say to be an ally is to take on the struggle as your own, stand up even when you're scared, you feel scared, transfer the benefits of your privilege to those who lack it, yeah. and to acknowledge that while you too feel pain, the conversation is not about you. Uh -huh. mm. so that speaks to what you've just said. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's actually a perfect definition, but I, I think it comes down for me in simple terms is just, well, one, as the ally, always looking to better yourself, always questioning things, and then also being willing to just listen and really believe what you're hearing about the experiences mm -hmm. of others. Um, even if you don't have an understanding of that experience, just believing that what they are saying is their yeah. experience is true. Um, and then secondly, yeah, having the courage to have somebody else's back. I think that's so important. Same thing, you know, in my circle of people who include you know, all aspects of life and walks of life, some that I don't identify as personally. When I'm an ally, I need to stand up for those people and have the courage to do so. Um, and then I expect people who don't come from my background who want to be an ally to me to have my back. Yeah. And to listen. Like, and to listen, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't, how can I, I know I can help, but tell me how. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, I think for me, the key to it is putting the work in when the oppressed party or the underprivileged party isn't in the room. That's when 99% of it can happen mm. because they're a minority. So they're always, it's very rare that they, they, it's, they're actually going to be there. So the education has to happen with your friends and your family and stuff. And hang on. Dad, <laughs> you need to it's just just, just, Well, this is yeah. what it, yeah, these are the conversations I have. Like, it could be dad, it could be friend. Like that, that's when the work happens. That's yeah. when you're saying to like you're pulling people up at a time, you know, in, in a non-aggressive way. And it, this sort of goes on to a topic that we've got coming up later on in terms of uh, educating people without being condescending. Mm -hmm. It's just like to be an ally is to is to work to sort of to change minds and to open minds to giving people, you know, the space to be themselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it's what I'd say about it. A little joke I, I put in is that, um, <laughs> it's, uh, we, you know, we should, we, we should have a, a sort of a regular section of this, of this pod called Imperfect Allies, which I think I brought up that Dave Chappelle bit yeah. Yeah. about seven times <laughs> in nine episodes, but it's true. And it's, we're, we're all working to be better. Uh, mm. a, a, that's a better friend that's a better ally uh, to people that we don't know and it might be positions that we don't necessarily understand but like you say it's that education mm. it's that willingness to be better and uh, if, progress you know, not perfection absolutely yeah. you know 75% of the way is, is better than being 0% of the way yeah. mm -hmm. and I think the educating yourself um, I've, I've been really moved by how Dwayne Wade spoken about his daughter and mm -hmm. I've kind of kept up with that and one thing that he's been consistent about is saying so when she came in and told me the first thing I wanted to do was get educated yeah and mm -hmm. I think that that again speaks to yeah we talk about wanting to be lifelong learners but actually people don't want to people people we talk about being lifelong learners but we also don't like being uncomfortable yeah, mm. yeah. and so sometimes kind of confronting your own prejudices confronting your own weaknesses requires a vulnerability that people would rather avoid yeah. and i think that the thing about the Dwayne wade thing is the the internet the twitter response was completely predictable there was a small minority of people that you know calling him out saying uh, you know all the kind of things that we know that i don't even want to give airtime to and then mm. there was a lot of support um I wanted to say, it shouldn't be seen as allyship for a father to love his daughter, but to say that would be to erase how much of black culture from music to comedy is built on the most appalling bigotry. And this is the thing that we don't want to talk about. It's, you know, it's calling, it's, you know, calling dad out. It's kind of, mm -hmm. no, we're not listening to R. Kelly. Mm -hmm. No, we're not listening to this song by Budgie Bannon. Um, I don't care how much it slaps. We're, we're not, we're not, no, we're not listening. But, yeah. but that's the thing. It's because it's, I don't know who in that room is going through what. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, um, and my favorite example of this in terms of how big a thing is it should be is I remember um, my dad used to run uh, a big nightclub in Brixton. And my dad is, was, I haven't spoken to him for years, so I can't speak on the man now, but he was one of the biggest bigots that I know. And it was wrapped up in cultural things. It was wrapped up in religion. And he had a real thing against you know, you know the Chichi Mandem, and you know, and all of these this horrific language that he would use. It's horrific language that he would use. Um, but on New Year's Eve, he would run a night called Love Muscle, which was the biggest gay night in the country at the time, hmm. because you know his love of green, <laughs> his love yeah. of money yeah. was greater than his bigotry, well, and pink, so pink pound, eh? Pardon? The the, pink yeah, pound. the pink pound, and I think that. 
that you know allyship also has to be separated from what benefits you. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. benefit Hugely. you, Nate, in your career to be kind of telling the CEO in that meeting, look, um, Alana has been, tried to speak three times and you've stepped over each yeah. time. Can you? Mm. Can we just create a space? But then also to say to Alana, look, Alana, take as long as you need. I when I get interrupted, I lose my train of thought and it takes me a minute. You don't just get this one moment. Yeah. That's going to cost you in your career. It's going to cost you in your career in some of the situations that I was in at university where I called people out for kind of having some BS politics. Well, that's the thing. There was a few moments I was catching up with my CEO. So I've been at the company like 18 months and uh, we was in Lisbon and we were just having a few beers. Just drop that one in. Tom Harry Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> 2020's been He's good trying. to me so far. He's 2020's been good to me so far. And um, he was saying how, you know, when I first joined the company, I rubbed a few people up the wrong way. And I think it's because I had a willingness to call people out. Like, if you were not d holding up your end of the bargain, if it's a work thing, or a, for me, if personally, if you're not being good enough as a person, I feel responsible to call you out on it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, if, if, if we as a group are going to succeed in what we're doing, whether it's a podcast, whether it's uh, work, whether it's a sports team, whatever, I've got to be able to trust in the person, innit? Yeah. And I feel sometimes that's, when do you cross the line? When do you call them out? Because, like you say, I've rubbed people up the wrong way. You know, there was a few complaints to my to my CIO. If he wasn't, you know, as 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 trusted in me and as faithful in me, that could have really escalated. So I think there is we don't talk about the risk to it, and and people don't want to acknowledge that because it's like, oh, if I step outside my current position, which is safe, oh, like oh, it's going to cause me aggro. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, it's it's Prince. finding that that bravery and that confidence to to just step outside that boundary and go, no, nah, that is unacceptable. Yeah. And mm -hmm. what. Mm -hmm you know, what comes of this, so be it. There's an element there though of, of fuck your feelings because it is the whole point that you mentioned as well, Alana, where you've got other people that are going through something. What does it mean to me to feel uncomfortable for a little bit? So, I mean, I've got a number of different WhatsApp groups and there was one uh, and a conversation came up about Philip Schofield. And to be clear, I think he's a bomber hole. I don't like Philip Schofield. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like Philip Schofield. I don't rate him, but everyone in the group was saying some negative shit about what he's done to his wife, his daughters, and it was just taking a second to be like, yeah, but we yeah. don't understand the shit that he's been going through exactly. in terms of being a gay person, being in the closet and not feeling comfortable within yourself. And it's mm. like, I don't understand what that feels like. None of you lot understand what that feels like, mm. but let's just try. It's kind yeah. of forcing yourself. And that continuous improvement within yourself and development within yourself, I think it is something that you kind of have to force yourself to do. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, the first one that I can think of was with, with Caitlyn Jenner and getting the pronouns right. And when that first dropped, I struggled. I yeah. really, really struggled because it is a new concept to me. It's a new concept to a hell of a lot of people. And it was something that I struggled to get to terms with, but yeah. it was something that I forced myself to do. Mm -hmm. And now it's second nature. Yeah, that's one of the craziest things for me, the whole like pronoun discussion. Because I'm like, why do you care so much? Mm -hmm. yep. Like, yeah. why do you care? Like, if I wanted to be called Derek, let me be called Derek. Mm -hmm. If oh, I, you know what I mean? Let's make it like, even realer. Like, how many different name changes has Puff Daddy had? <laughs> we went for a whole period where we had to call Prince the artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah. Or Tafcap. Didn't he just have symbol. a symbol? He had a symbol one time. Yeah, yeah literally, yeah. 97, I think it's, it was 97. And he had the Tafcap album, All the Glitters Ain't Gold. It's literally, it's, it's a name. It's just made it, like, it's just, it's just, it's just a name. Like, it, it, this is the funny thing, like, I've, I've actually pulled up uh, Zaya Wade's message to his, his sister and he's put his man i remember bugging my mom as a kid telling her i wanted a brother so bad i was the only child looking for a company looking for company and someone to look after and take care of i've been blessed to have my best friend zaya with me for 12 years we did everything together we fought we played we laughed we cried and the one thing we never did was leave each other behind 
I'll tell you that I would lay down my life to make sure you are ten toes down and happy on this earth. I don't care what they think, Z. You're my best friend and I love you, kid. It, and if it means anything, just know there's no love lost on this side. Why? What, what has that got to do with anyone else? Mm. What, that, what has that got to do with anyone else? C yeah. Because someone famous that like you liked to play basketball, like their kid that you've never met, feels that they, you know, identify as being a, a girl rather than a boy. Mm. Why? Like, it's, it's kind of crazy that, we, that we're, we're in a world where we have to talk about this. Humans like to categorize things, put them in boxes to get a sense of control over yeah. mm. your world and your understanding. And I think there's a huge resistance to having your perspective expanded in such a way. It, again, it's just growth, it's change, and that is always uncomfortable. Mm. But it's a matter of if you want to better yourself as a person, being comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 I think that, that speaks to a lot of things, doesn't it? Yeah. We've had the conversation around race and, and a, approaching those kind of conversations at work. And a lot mm -hmm. of people don't want to have those conversations because it does make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. But there's so much to, to better yourself by yeah. and just having those conversations. Sometimes having those conversations with yourself. Like, why, why do mm -hmm. I have this feeling? Why yeah, do I think this self -awareness. way? Exactly, exactly. And I think it comes down to another thing as well. Like, obviously, we are obviously talking about others and it's about being empathetic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's really difficult. Yeah. You know, to really step outside of your own prejudice, biases, life experiences, to look at someone, listen to their story and then try to feel that. That's incredibly hard. Yeah. Like, and I think there's there's a lot of kind of like performative allyship, you know, in the sense of like, <laughs> virtue signaling. Yeah. you know what I mean? Like, oh, I care about this person. I'm like, I, I don't need to know you care. Yeah. Just go about your day and go yeah. about your life and, yeah. and support these people. Like, Hashtag activism. <laughs> I think we saw a lot of that in the aftermath of the um, death of Caroline Flack, where a lot of the same people that had, and let's call it what it is, bullied her. Mm. were kind of, let's take a moment out of our days to really kind of consider how we speak to people. It's like, Love the message, hate the messenger. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, and, and, and I wonder, and the question I want to put to you guys is, like, how do we live in a world where we want to be better allies and take that time and learn deeper when everything, it seems it's so much about the current world, yeah. is about shallow and being here and being now. You know, it's much more difficult to kind of sit down with you, Alana, and hear what it is to live on the the different intersections that you live on and how they impact you rather than just saying, putting out a tweet that says, you know, black women's lives matter mm -hmm. and getting kind of clout for that. I think it's a long process. I don't think it is something that can happen in a conversation or can happen instantly. I think it's, you know, you talked about empathy and we talk about self-awareness and wanting to be a better person. These are things that are taught to you when you're younger. So it's kind of, I think our responsibility to instill that empathy and um, sense of questioning and desire to be better people within younger generations, yeah. mm. because it's not, I don't want to say there's no hope for our generation or o older, because there is hope, but I think it takes a certain level of skill to try to change someone's mind when they're already so set in their ways. So I think focusing on instilling the values that we want to see in people within younger generations and then just hopefully that unfolds over time yeah. to, you know. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, so you're saying we need to wait for people to die. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, I, see, well, that's what I was it's thinking It's going to be a well. better place when they it's all exactly, well, it's, it's, I've been thinking that. But, um, <laughs> but, I mean, to get serious again, like, I don't know how many of you saw the, the Danny Cipriani message mm. on social media yesterday mm -hmm. and like, 
it broke my heart a bit. Like I, I don't know him at all. I know people who do know him. People went to school, like my flatmate. Went what to was school, the message? Went to, went to school with him. So ba- he used to date Caroline Flack, and they were still very close. And right. she actually messaged him on the, I think it was the day that she died. He was completely vulnerable to her. He told her everything, and it, and she, like she told him everything, and it was they were sort of not soulmates, but they they relied on each other, mm. sort of supported each other. Mm. And his thing was. We're now at a point in the world. It's like she knew that he was a strong enough person to to own up to the things that he'd done. So he's like, so I'm going to say the most shameful things, the most embarrassing things that have happened to me. So he admitted that when he was 22, he used to go to this nightclub all the time. And he met this guy who was a bit of a face, and um, he tried to buy a gun off this guy because he wanted to kill himself. Mm-hmm. 22, and bear in mind this guy's been playing for. England since he was like he played for Wasp since he was like 19 he was an absolute phenom I think he got a couple of bad injuries and he was all over the papers yeah. he didn't drink until he was until he was like 20 or something he got, he got a few injuries and uh, he'd met this guy and he tried to buy a gun and he did it three times because he kept pulling out because he, mm. he didn't have it in him he started a bit of fighting him mm. and then this guy sold that paper to the son the son went to like went to his manager whatever said they're gonna, we're going to print this story and it had to he had to get a note from his uh, psychologist. He went to the son and said, look, here are the notes, he's been talking to me. You cannot legally publish this mm-hmm. yeah. because you know, yeah. there's, there's some protection about it. And it, it's, it's like a 20 minute message and he, it's, it's a, he says a lot of other things, but his whole thing is uh, you can't just blame the media because the media, if, if uh, the, the world thr- thrives on negativity. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you people stopped reading the negative stories, and focus on the positive stories, they wouldn't publish it. Uh-huh. So it said it's as much the media's fault as it is our own fault. He said, yeah, this the is now. Fault. Absolutely. He said, now's the time where we actually need to sort of focus on different things. And this whole shame culture has got to sort of, it's got to end and it's got to start with ourselves. Uh-huh. And like, like I said, that broke my heart that mm. he had to say that. But part of me is like, that is the most amazing thing. That's going to change the minds of a lot of people. Some of that are probably saying, actually, enough's enough. And I think yeah. now's the time. It's not going to change everyone, but I, it's like you say, it starts with a younger generation, a more impressionable generation, and say, you know what, we're not having this anymore. Um, and like I say, just this, it does tie into our ship in, in so much as that. We need to, yeah. Well, think we about, to, well, I think all the guys around the table have played rugby and the culture of rugby is kind of your arms hanging off is fine just put some duct tape on it <laughs> you know how you feeling fine I just need to get another set in you know there hasn't been a lot of talk about mental health I don't know if you saw yeah. there was a um, a YouTube uh, I think it's Rugby Pass who did this hour-long documentary on the impact of concussions and they talked about all of the guys there it was like Sam Underhill was on there um, Jamie Cudmore was on there and they talked about the, the mental health aspect so in terms of allyship the culture from rugby is very much kind of say nothing mm. you know and so for him that is being an ally because you're stepping mm. outside of this kind of silent code um, allyship is you know, as I've said to you, it, you know, when you speak up in those meetings, allyship can be, do you know what? I kind of, as a black guy, I know what it is to kind of struggle, but do you know what? I've got two degrees and I work mm-hmm. in some of the schools that I work in. These kids haven't had families in employment for two, three, four generations, mm-hmm. going back to kind of Thatcher and even before. So allyship is me standing in the gap for them. Mm. It's kind of, I, f- I think one of the things I thought about allyship, I'd be interested in what you guys think, is allyship is moving yourself to the periphery that the people that you're trying to support are and seeing things from their view mm-hmm. and then yeah. going back to your centre and trying to change it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know what you guys think about that, but that's certainly kind of 
it feels like it's been my experience. Yeah. On that, where I really do struggle is as a person that is privileged in some ways, less so in others. And I look at my family, I look at friends and particularly family have been on the outskirts of society and whatnot. And it's, I struggle to understand how someone, for instance, that moved from Jamaica in the 1960s, faced all kinds of discrimination, still does to this day, yet holds such negative views about other marginalised people. That's what I struggle with because I'm like, you felt it. You felt it firsthand. You've experienced it. How that makes you feel, how Mm. do you feel comfortable saying that kind of thing about other people? It doesn't matter whether it's gay, whether it's a different part of the world that they're from, whatever it is, it's, you know how it feels. That's one of the craziest things. It's that kind of cognitive dissonance. And uh-huh. it's like, you know, on one hand, we are complex as, yeah. as, you know, humans are complex and irrational. So it's like, you know, I'm going to believe in this religion, faith, or this way of, of, of living <clears throat> because it supports these things. Yep. And actually, like, no, that's outside my, outside my box. And I think the big thing for me is maybe it's the narcissist in me, but like, I don't care. Like, I've got, <laughs> I've got trust me, I've got enough to care about. I'm, you know, do you. Are you having a negative impact on my life? No, then we ain't got a problem. Yeah, and it's that simple for me. It's, like, it's, it is that it's, simple. It's that simple. Yeah. Like, that's, that's exactly the way that I look at it. You know it what I mean? Well. Like, and I'm willing to be educated in the sense of like, we educate people every day about race or every week, every month. You know, we have these conversations. So why would I not be willing to learn from other groups? Like you say, it's just it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, this whole concept is just wild to me. At, at its most simple, as human beings. Surely one of the most baseline things that we should expect from others and expect of ourselves is a bit of kindness and, mm. and feeling good. I like it when someone makes me feel good about myself, so I'd yeah. like to do that to other people. So when it's that simple, like you said, if you, someone wants to be referred to as a certain term, certain pronoun, whatever it is, if I can give a little bit, mm. then why not do it? Because my neighbour being happy makes me happy just... Yeah. Uh, Alana, I yeah. think you actually had the answer to Nate's question about why people care, and you talked about binaries. Mm. And one yeah. of the, when I was studying at university, I did I looked at modernism and postmodernism, and two degrees. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and podcast bingo. And, <laughs> and the big thing is, is, you study any kind of binary, you realise how volatile it is. Yeah. Um, so I kind of was planning to write an essay about um, a hip hop album using it to deconstruct a city because you, if you listen to most hip hop albums, they're like, you know, this is for Brooklyn, Brooklyn stand up. This is what to be from Brooklyn is this. But then they're using a sample from like Red Hot Chili Peppers who are <laughs> from the West Coast. They're yeah. using Felicuti samples, you know, and so it kind of completely deconstructs it. I think the reason that when Dom you were saying why do people from marginalized communities hate is because there is an element where they're kind of taught hate and there is an element where there is a divide and conquer thing where mm-hmm. um, yeah. us versus them. you know it's the same reason that we have kind of it's not on anymore but you know shows like Jeremy Carl because it's like well at least my life's not that messed up yeah, yeah. so you know I, could, I don't mind I might only be being paid minimum wage and have the copper being stripped out of my house and my kids are going to a terrible school and I'm getting jacked up by the police every day but at least my sister's cousin's boyfriend isn't sleeping with my bro- sister's cousin's <laughs> boyfriend's dog. You know, what I, mean? it's like, and I, think, I think that's what it boils down to. And, and I don't know if you guys listen to Seen on Radio, um, the best after this podcast that I <laughs> know. But they talk about this. Their current series is looking at kind of the making of America. The season before looks at... Um, seeing white and the creation of whiteness and mm. at every oh, yeah. stage going back hundreds of years there's been people in power that's like where there's been revolts that have been based on class 
And it's yep. yeah, they, they kind of have broken those by saying, look, we're going to separate you from you because actually mm-hmm. you're you're like me. You may yep. not have the same kind of money, but we're the same. It's him that's the enemy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, it is and, that divide and conquer. Yeah. 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 In England, it's tax dodgers. It's, yeah. Yeah. you know, 10 years ago. Nowadays, it's the woke generation. It's them that are the issue. The, these these MFers that are asking for people to be respectful. Metro- How dare they? <laughs> Metropolitan li- liberal elite, right? <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, like, on the sort of on the topic of ally allyship, um, why can't I say that word? Uh, I'm just not gonna say it again. Um, I'd like to like one Twitter account, which you know, it's I feel embodies this best. Is I don't know if anyone follows it, Neville Southall, former mm. Everton goalkeeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years ago, I mean, he came across as a very strange bloke. You know, he used to just tweet about skeletons. <laughs> uh, just jokes about skeletons all the time, <laughs> but uh, there was a, there was a change. I think he, he sort of realised there was some kind of conversation that came up, and he realised he didn't really know anything about sort of trans people, about uh, sex workers, mm. and he basically dedicated his entire account, his entire platform, on he does takeovers on educating people, like his bio says, real Neville Southall, ex Everton and Wales goalkeeper, sports sex workers, trans people, and anywhere else I want interested in mental health issues. And he's just constantly sort of devoting his account to educating people and giving a platform to these yeah. disenfranchised people. And mm. it, like, it, it starts, I don't know what started it, but that's an example that like, can start with anyone, whether it directly affects you or not. As far as yeah. I know, there's no one in his family that's affected by this, uh, other than possibly mental health, but it uh, takes nothing. It takes nothing to do that. And I don't think he's getting anything out of it other than the fact that he's, you know, he feels like he's sort of enlightening himself. And uh, we can all take a leaf out of Big Nev's book. (laughs) (laughs) The way that I look at it is um, it's something that I always come back to. It's it's something that Martin Luther King said. It's not the Ku Klux Klan members. It's not the people that are on the right, the far right, that are the people that we need to worry about. It's the moderates. (laughs) It's the moderates and the silence of moderate people. And that was about race back in the 50s and 60s, but it still holds true now. But it is, it's just getting yourself out of that comfort zone because you're doing it for somebody else. I think that's a good place to uh, wrap up that topic. <laughs> um, just finish with the king. It segues quite nicely as well um, into our next topic, which I feel like we... <laughs> it was probably a bit ag- aggressively titled Educating Idiots. Uh, <laughs> I would like to not call it that. and I think it, it's having conversations where you feel like y- you might be an expert and trying to get your point across without being condescending to other people to give a bit of background to this this the, a great example of this happened online recently with uh, involving England second row slash six uh, big Courtney Laws um, big Courtney Laws fan I'm just going to say that now however in this instance he was in the wrong so the premise for this was um, Bonnie Greer was cozying up to uh, Lawrence Fox on, on Twitter, she met him, she had a picture with him. It wasn't mm. Florence Locks last time. It was Florence Locks. <laughs> but you know what? I, I don't care. No one's, gonna, <laughs> no one's gonna remember him by the time this is out. And some folk on Twitter took umbrage to this picture and her basically endorsing this man's uh, recent behavior and this man's recent views. One poster put, black people remain downtrodden for as long as we are willing to appease those who abuse us. Enter Courtney Laws. Speak for yourself, mate. After, essentially, he was waved away by the people having the conversation, one person of which was Chardine Taylor Stone. And, I mean, Chardine Taylor Stone, she is 
she's out here, out here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's she is legit. So just to sort of give people some background on her, award-winning back feminist, LGBTQ activist, student, drummer. Yeah, she's 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 equipped for this, and she knew she was. So you know, she's just like Courtney, chill out, mate. Um, but he said, "Don't come crying to us when they call you a nigger." Is what she said. I don't know if we can say this. Have we ever said it on air? Yeah, we have. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm so harsh, isn't it? <laughs> Will we? Yeah, because you know, like, there's the one episode where we're like, call me an N word, but give me the job. I'd like to put, I didn't want the episode to be called that. <laughs> that was uh, that was a hard R. <laughs> yeah. wow. trying to get me killed anyway. out of here. <laughs> Courtney Laws, however, we decided he had time that day. <laughs> <laughs> Training is finished. Yeah, so Courtney Wall said, that word has no power over me, lady. I'm more than happy in my skin. Also, why are you being so dramatic? You come across so revengeful and bitter. Do you actually think you're helping the black community Ooh. by being this way? Shiding Taylor Stone. Of course, those of us who work towards equality and justice are resentful and bitter, blah, blah. There's no point offering you some reading or research, is there? Because no one has power over you. But they do, mate, they do. She was willing to let him off easily, still at this point but Courtney Laws wouldn't let it go. <laughs> Good God. Not only determined to make yourself a victim, you're also determined to tell me I'm one. And he's got like the crying laughing emoji. If you really wanted equality, you would tell people to stop blaming everyone else for their problems and take responsibility for themselves. Oh my God. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps there. <laughs> Courtney Laws with the bootstraps. Wow. <laughs> Shining Taylor Stone. Still not quite believing this conversation's actually happening. <laughs> But she's being dignified enough to not point out that the man actually trying to go there is stark bollock naked in this particular instance. <laughs> Good God. All those pesky researchers are, out, are just out there telling us that discrimination towards people of colour is just a systematic problem and just making it up when really people should just stop being victims. <laughs> Courtly laws. Yes, yes. It is such a systemic problem that no black person can ever be successful Emoji with the hand on the chin. Oh. Why don't you give me an example of systemic so racism? End tweet. Courtney's revealed himself bare as the day was born to the entirety of Twitter. I've, yeah. I've added those parentheses. So that, that was the conversation. <laughs> so basically what happened is in, in private, we had, the, we had a bit of a conversation in the WhatsApp and I was just like, it was pointed out like he's showing himself to be an idiot. And I initially, I... I did say in the interest of clarity, I was like, I feel like Shardine Tellstone should do uh, That was a, a missed opportunity because I think so many people think like Courtney Laws. Mm -hmm. yeah. He is he's wrong and strong, but she should have educated him. But I, I need to issue you an honor apology here because I, I went and read around it and what what is she what are you supposed to do? Oh. She did educate him, she then it continues and she gives yeah. him facts and figures mm -hmm. and he just he vanishes. And to be honest, Four days later, England got embarrassed by France. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 finish that sentence. I, I mean, there's, well, there's nothing to finish. There's nothing to finish. You can't come on Twitter and be talking wild like this, and then four days later be given a hiding by an experimental France team. Okay, <laughs> I'm not having it. One of these things is not like the other book. Cool, like, I, these, I feel your passion. These are two entirely unrelated things, but I need to get off my chest. Okay. So, I mean, I, I, to, just to sort of open that topic up, um, I think it, it's 
it's harder and harder these days, especially online. It's impossible to have these conversations because everything's tribal. Everything it's everything's feels so aggressive and it feels so amped up that you, it, a simple explanation it can feel like you're attacking someone's point of view mm. and you, you, you're basically calling them out. And yeah. things are so easily misconstrued over 280 characters that it's you almost feel like there's no point. Yeah. I, tweet about sports now because I can't I, I, I just that's that's literally all I talk about because yeah. it's really it's so hard to have this conversation in this forum without you know everything being because everything's cultural and I, I've just decided like you know what I'm not going to play I'm not going to play the game I think that's that's the big thing for me is like the right platform for these type of conversations mm. like if you're looking to, to educate someone about anything well, you've both got to start in a situation where you know that individual is willing to listen and learn. Yeah. And that's very hard to determine through a, through social media. And also, like, outrage, like, it sells. I want you to get irate so I can retweet your response and, you know, <laughs> drive some traffic to my platform and, hey, might might convert on a couple of, you know, sales on my little clothing store or whatever. How often do you go to the <laughs> comment section? <laughs> Never. <laughs> you know, because I made that mistake. And, you yeah. like, you go in there and you're like, these people... Like, why? When I was a journalist, they used to say, never read the bottom half of the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Comment sections, man. But I think, you know, it's it's hard because you see stuff on, I mean, Dave gives this unbelievable Brits performance, you know, speaking truth to power on a platform where he could have just gone and performed location and and be done with it. You know what I mean? And what got me was the next day, because I'm active on Twitter. There was like the who's Dave hashtag trend going round in it and you just what got if, what if an artist that was white did a song about white and it's people just, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like if we start playing what about re and what if yeah. there is yeah. there's nothing to win here and i think being willing to step away and not engage these people is a lesson i've had to learn yeah. mm. over the last few years because everyone's like nate you're always so passionate about things of course i am like th- <laughs> this whole concept is rooted in me not existing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when it comes to racism or whatever else or uh, classism, you know what I mean? It's it's like, of course I'm getting irate about this, but actually you're right. You know, Twitter fingers is not the time to- <laughs> One to, of the headlines I loved after the, after the Dave thing was, uh, <laughs> uh, rapper Dave says, Boris Johnson is racist. Is he right or is he racist? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> that turned left. Yeah, I was like, well, well I'll have to click Apparently, the whole, song, apparently <laughs> the whole song's racist. That's one thing that I read because it was big oh, enough black, black people. Yeah. I don't understand mm. how, when oh, you're talking okay. about great things that black people have done and black people do, how is that racist? Man? Yeah. <laughs> it just shows a fundamental misunderstanding. Yeah, and of just, what racism uh, is. Like, there's, it just shows me that you literally don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and at this point, it's like, you know, am I going to go and shout at this person, engage with this person, you know, work tirelessly to convince them? You know what? I'm not. I'm just going to walk away. Yeah. There lies the issue. Sorry, go ahead. No, well, uh, yes, actually, I will go. <laughs> <laughs> I think... <laughs> Fuck with that. <laughs> Energy. I think, uh, <laughs> um, I think that if the willingness to learn is there, then sure, have the... I mean. If you are a marginalized group and you you have um, there's something that you're not getting from the systemic ism, whatever the ism is, you have to say you have to be vocal about your experience. You have to be willing to say exactly what it is that you need um, so that those people who are allies who do want to be educated know what they can do to support you. Mm -hmm. And I think on the individual level, sure, you have to determine 
if that person is willing to learn and then you can have the conversation. But I do think that on a public platform like Twitter, it is also the responsibility to, you know, on the first tweet that's just bullshit and nonsense, you say, you're incorrect. Here's some resources for you to educate yeah. yourself. Mm. And then that's it. And then you just wipe your hands clean of it. Because I think when you're addressing an issue on a public platform, it's really not about educating the person who's spouting the bullshit in the first place. It's about everyone else, everyone else who's witnessing yeah. it. And yeah. I think also I love I love the the one time clap back someone claps and you clap back and then you just step away <laughs> and just like let it all unfold because yeah. that person's gonna get so angry and you yeah. can just like see the see the veins throbbing as they're like <laughs> tweeting just like yeah and i think that's one thing we forget sometimes like no response is yeah. a valid response yes like yeah. not everything needs a re you know we don't need to you know when you see uh uh What's her name? I'm not going to mention it, but you know the bigot who got flown out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when, for example, when you when you see these things. We're not saying it. We're not saying it. But there's certain swear words uh, we're not allowed. Yeah. <laughs> Katie Ketterman. <laughs> <laughs> but for example, when you see these people, it's like the fine balance of like, I could comment on this, but I know I'm giving that person what they want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I know you want me to respond because it's a metric. It's yeah. a, yeah. it's a, far out to the private of oxygen. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, uh, there, was a, there was a time when I used to uh, work from home and uh, I used to, I got really into listening. It was like around the sort of time the, the Brexit was on and I was listening to a lot of LBC. And uh, it's really morbid fascination with the James <laughs> O'Brien on it. And it's it like was, intellectual Jeremy, um, Jeremy Kyle. It is, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, because people come on, like, he's, he does like serious topics. And like, these people would they, they ring in knowing that they were going to be wrong and going to be undressed. And I'd be, I'd be sat there, like, fascinated, like, why are they, why are they doing this? Cause, but it, it felt like James O'Brien was one of the only people, like, feeling like I was feeling around time breaks. I was like, mm. how would, like, I'm turning on my TV and I'm seeing people saying exactly all the reasons why this is a terrible idea, and they but they're saying it in a positive way. So anyway, little side note: I actually rung up one a couple of times, and uh, one of them they were talking about talking about sexting, and I inadvertently I'd like on out like I opened the call, but I was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm 29 years old or whatever, so I'm a veteran of the generation, like, you know, we're not just. <laughs> And he's like, oh, you're a veteran of the generation that was been sexting. I was like, well, I didn't say that. <laughs> hung the call up. <laughs> I then saw him like a couple of years later at the tennis in at Queens. And he was just like, he remembered the call. Just laughing in my face. <laughs> but yeah, it's, and then it's, this is the thing, like person after person would call themselves, to, would call up on air and just offer them it and be loud and wrong. And I'm just like... And he, to, to be fair to him, he's not one of the worst people. You, like, you see the talk sport clips mm -hmm. go on and they'll go in on people and they're obviously deliberately accepting calls so they can make people look stupid. Mm -hmm. But that's not the way that you can ever make any kind of progress on these topics. Like you, we've seen with Brexit, that's not the way. Like you can't embarrass people. You can't just call people yeah. idiots. Like that's why you say you can just present them with the information and say, look, this is how it is. So... Yeah. At that point, you know, you've got to you've got to just fight that urge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. no matter how I strong. think that, that that's the reason that that's so difficult is because we talked about this a little yeah. bit in allyship. If you have your family members, you have your friends, you know about them, mm. and you can kind of bring things onto their level. When I have conversations with my grandma and she comes out with some wild shit, sometimes <laughs> <laughs> love your grandma. I know she's not listening. 
I know she don't listen to this, oh, but she says some wild shit sometimes, and I'm like, right, let me get this onto her level, mm-hmm. and it makes it a lot easier for her to digest. But then, if it's a stranger, She's going online, after women. If it's a stranger online, you've got Typical. to make an assumption. Mm. <laughs> 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 you have to make an assumption about that person. You know, I can speak louder than all of you. Yeah. <laughs> He's just pulled yeah, Alana's mic. Like, I don't know. I was a cheerleader, <laughs> so I, I mean, can be I've pretty loud. I've got up for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> but you have to make an assumption about that person. And the second you make an assumption, that's when it all goes failed, downhill. Because you've yeah. already failed. Like I don't yeah. know anything about this person. I'm going to assume you are this. And you know what they say about assumption, man, it's dangerous. I think one of the things that that has happened is that the way that discourse has gone is now, and it really is quite annoying, is that people will loudly give an opinion, they'll wrap it in personal experience, and Mm. it's mistaken by that person, the experience is mistaken as a proxy for empirical evidence. I was going to go back to the Courtney Laws thing where it's like, well, because I've kind of made it, therefore uh, I don't need to hear your evidence. And 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 I think also with that, we've had this real conflation between the individual problem and a systemic issue. And and so it's like, well, I've never experienced racism, so therefore racism doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I've become a successful person, therefore systemic issues um, can't exist. And it's like, no, we need to kind of reject a lot of the premises that people put on these debates. So when Courtney Laws is saying, give, you know, find me one example, it's like, no, I'm, that's not where we're starting this discussion. In the same way, I'm not having any discussions about my IQ. You're like, that's not the discussion. And just as an aside, I was laughing to a friend about this, the whole kind of, um, so government, there was a government advisor that was uh, hired uh, who had some views. Uh, One of the views that he had was that uh, black people have lower IQs, um, which the number 10 Downing Street didn't disavow, but the backlash (laughs) meant that he was, um, uh, he didn't take, he didn't take the post. Uh, what 2020, right? It, oh, in big, got, old big, in big old 2020, people have the audacity. The the government is not willing to dismiss not these yet. abhorrent views. Yeah. But it, but okay, so but there's two different ways of looking at this. Here, here's way number one. Um, I'm sure that if they did a big enough sample size, you would probably find that yes, black people probably do have lower IQs. But if we want to take it a step further and investigate why, and you mm. look at the kind of uh, biases inherent within those exams, that would be the reason. Mm. And if I, uh, but here's how you pull a Courtney Laws. I was a member of Mensa. I have a ridiculous IQ. So I can, when I say the IQ, the IQ test is bullshit, <laughs> I'm saying it from a position that it positively impacted me. Yeah. Because actually, that's like, there's a great, I can't remember who said it, but, um, a fish that's constantly great tested by his ability to climb Probably trees true, will yeah. forever think it's stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like there are so many different ways to measure. Some of the dumbest people I know have got first from Oxford and Cambridge. Mm. Like genuinely, <laughs> I can't get over how stupid <laughs> they can't are. Can't cross a road on their own time. Like literally yeah. like <laughs> destroying their car because they repeatedly put diesel in their <laughs> unloaded cars. Like just, just dumb as a bucket of shrimp. <laughs> but but actually, because they can pass the narrowly defined yeah. tests, mm. they're considered intelligent. Yeah. So when you bring this back to this idea of educating idiots, I for me, like the question I always go with is, how willing how willing am I to have somebody tell me that I'm an idiot? Yeah, because there there have been mm. topics over the last few years where I have been an idiot. So almost all of my friends at university 
were women. Um, and the great majority of them were lesbians and some of them were transgender. So I was an idiot because I really didn't know anything mm. about the transgender community. I really didn't know anything about the day-to-day -day experiences of the lesbian community, of what it's, what, why there are certain places where they won't hold hands mm. when they're kind of going out. Yeah. Why they were so happy to have me on nights out, for example. Not mm. just because I'm friends with them, but because it's far less likely they're going to be attacked yeah. when there's a giant guy in the group with them. Um, so I think it's really kind of, when we're kind of thinking about educating idiots, it's like, how willing am I to kind of be called an idiot? Because I am an idiot about a lot of stuff. Mm. And, and I'm, but the thing is, the difference is, is, going back to what I said earlier, I like being a lifelong learner. Yeah. I, I do enjoy the quest for knowledge and I'm not mm. the same person I was two years ago, four years ago, six years ago. And I think it, life would be really boring if I was. But I think there's a lot of people that would say that, but then when you go, okay, so um, when you say this, this is how it makes me feel. And I think I've used the example in a previous podcast, the, the offensive term half-cast. Mm. I was brought up saying that's the polite way of speaking about it, <laughs> of describing people of... Uh, mixed heritage, the the correct term, and I'm using inverted commas on an uh, audio medium, but um, <laughs> was half oh, gosh. Obviously, as I get older and I'm educated, I don't go, well, it's the way that I've always used it. And if them half casts don't like it, then do you know what I mean? The problem is with, is with them. You change. Yeah. Yeah. But that seems such, such a small thing. And yet, that is exactly what is happening in society yeah. today. Did you see that? Uh, I don't watch Question Time. Like I've got oh, much better things shit. to do with my time. Yeah. But there was one woman that kind of broke through my tightly curated kind of block list. <laughs> um, who was kind of... <laughs> It, it was it was a Daily Mail comment yeah, section yeah, come to yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, Ash Saka, he could. Yeah. But they didn't share that bit, though, did they? At what stage does the panel and people think this country has had enough? That we should close the borders, completely close the borders, because it's got to the stage now is there's no education, schooling, infrastructure, it's enough. We are sinking. Surely someone's got to see common sense and say, enough is enough. You've got people flooding into this country that cannot speak English. What sort of country is allowing this? What sort of country is allowing this tourism to come in? You arrive in a plane, you get free service, you can have your babies, you can just carry on having it all for free. On this matter of health tourism, what has been found is that migrants to this country mm -hmm. bring more and contribute more in tax than they take out of rubbish. the system. No, it's true. It's, it's a fact. Rubbish. It's a fact. Sorry, rubbish. facts don't care about your feelings. It's a fact. The, the thing is, is that woman did not want to be educated. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'm not calling her an idiot. I'm just saying that was a person that didn't want to be educated. And I think that the problem that we have is that people want to just be allowed their bigotry. Why can't I just say that... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's outrageous any, any, any stuff. Anytime yeah. somebody starts <laughs> a sentence with, I'm not being funny, but... Yes. <laughs> why can't I say that, you know, the dark... I mean, yeah. <laughs> what is the correct no. term for nignog <laughs> But why can't I say that they've got lower intelligence? Why can't I say, I just feel a little bit uncomfortable when I see two or three of them in my pub. Why can't I say it? And the thing is, the best thing about that clip, she was clearly pausing, hoping for applause. Yeah. <laughs> what was brilliant was people in the, the, I think what was happening is, now I agree with you, but you're saying the quiet part way too long. <laughs> so yeah, educating people that have different views, understand that your view can be wrong.
how important is it when you enter those kind of Twitter streets or those social media streets? Is it for you to be an expert on what you're talking about? Because while, and not just an expert in terms of your experience, because you said, you know, here's some research. Um, I think that there's a lot of people that can speak at a PhD level on their experiences, but then you'll get these people that are kind of being completely disingenuous in their views, but have probably got more empirical research. So how important is it if you're going to kind of go into those spaces to try and educate? What level of knowledge do you need to have before you feel comfortable to step in? I don't know. I think, um, well, there's my ego, so I'll speak personally, but I think that a lot of people probably can relate to this as well, is that you know, if you're ego driven, then you want to come across as an expert, you mm. want to come across as mm. well educated. Um, and so I think it's just a matter of constantly, it's going back to that self-awareness piece and the desire to be, the genuine desire to be a good person yeah. and a better person. Mm. You have to constantly be reflecting on yourself about how much of this do I actually know? Is this just my ego getting in the way and I'm becoming confrontational because I feel because I feel like an idiot and mm. I don't like to feel that way. I don't like to feel that discomfort. Um, it's just constantly checking in and and doing the self-reflection. Mm. I've definitely been there, especially when it comes to trans women. When I first I consider myself to be a very open minded, accepting person and I want other people to feel validated in who they are and I want to be that uplifting person. But when I was younger and being confronted with ideas of what femininity what femininity is and what being a woman is and then seeing somebody who was so different in their womanhood than me, I had to, it took a lot of years for me to be comfortable with mm -hmm. trans women and to really, <clears throat> in my own mind, validate their experience. Not that they don't need me to validate mm -hmm. their experience, but mm -hmm. for me to really understand and empathize and accept it and kind of wrap my head around it. So I think it just takes work and it yeah. takes a willingness to be a beginner and to kind of be that idiot until you can educate yourself. Feels good though, doesn't it? It feels, it feels good when like you get to that stage. It does feel really good because you get to that point where you're like, who gives a fuck? Yeah. <laughs> who gives a shit? Like just let everyone be themselves and yeah. be happy. It's and so much more, your heart is lightened when you can just yeah. let that shit I felt that yesterday. Go, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a moment. You know when you just give yourself like a little a little pat on the back and I oh, was yeah. I was just no, out and about I No, I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. All the time. We know you do, Dom. We know you do. Dom's biggest <laughs> Dom's biggest fan is Dom. Okay. Why it should be always. It should always it should be, be yourself. Always. Like, 100%. Agreed. I was Agreed. I was listening to some DMX and it was one of my favourite songs when I was going up, X is coming and there's some very questionable lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, honestly, the worst one is um Don't even say it because I think I know what you're talking about. Me. I listened to it, I was like yeah, Woo. <laughs> I listened to it yesterday and that lyric came on and I was like, I'm just gonna have to turn this yeah. shit off. I, I, and I, I walked off with a bounce in my step. Like, Where the hood at? Like, on the shoulder. Oh. We, know, we know the oh, lyric. I was just yeah. like, wow. Yeah. I was like, you really you're allowed to say this in 1998. Really do talk bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the, oh. the turning point for me was when I learned how much of an idiot I was. Yeah. yeah. So um, over the last few years, I've really got to grips with my mental health. Mm. And it's it's a journey that I'm I'm stay on. But my first round of like therapy, mm -hmm. it just exposed how fragile I was. Yeah. And I think what was crazy was I'm very proud. I'm very confident. Uh, I'm very sociable. I'm very extroverted. Arrogant. And yeah. Some may say. <laughs> but you know, annoying. All of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, I just felt like a weight was lifted because yeah. I saw myself so vulnerable mm -hmm. and so not broken, but so 
like I say, weak almost yeah. in the sense of like, I built up this this world of self, you know, self view around me that yeah. wasn't true. And once I started like breaking that down, it made it much easier for me to understand others. Yeah. Much easier for me to be accepting of their ignorance mm. and of their experience. And I, but you have to, right, you have to take that first step. And that first step is often the hardest step Huge. to, I mean, that's why there's like 12 step programs, right? To first, <laughs> admit, to first admit to yourself like, I don't know shit about this topic or like I feel stupid about this topic or this makes me feel vulnerable and uncomfortable and it's me like I'm the problem mm. and um, like I think yeah. for, like, I think my narcissism you know helps in that sense of like <laughs> no I'm the problem no it's all about me you know mm. as Dom says you you give yourself a pat on the back for these moments you you really question yourself in these moments and I think like you said it best mm. who gives a fuck yeah. you know you reach that point where you're just like I'm me, I'm complex, I'm flawed. I hold some, you know, different views on different topics. I mm. change my mind regularly, you know, so be it. Yeah. So other people are gonna do the same as well. Let's maybe not hold it against them. Mm -hmm. Cause that's when I think it becomes uh, like almost like point scoring. Like, yeah. You're an idiot. It's like, oh, it's not the best way to, to converse, is it? I think if you can look at educating other people as an act of self love, then coming from that place makes it easier to educate other people mm. rather than looking at it as an attack on someone else looking at it as i respect myself i love myself and i am i value myself and i just want other people to value me as well maybe not looking for external validation mm. but if i expect other people to respect me the way i respect myself then it's my responsibility to to show that respect for myself by educating other people in a way that is um, constructive. Mm. I don't like how serious they take themselves. I've always been me. I guess <laughs> I know myself. Shaking this man. I don't have no time for that. My city two turned up. I'll take the fine for that. Drake, <laughs> know yourself. <laughs> I feel like that was the right time for that lyric. I think it's always good if you Start local, start with the people that you actually care about. Yeah. Um, start with your families, make no assumptions. I think it's, it's it's a big thing to just assume people think certain ways or people know certain things mm -hmm. and that gets you into strife. Lead with love and, uh, and it'll spread, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, the next topic, Windrush. It's like I say, it's, it's, it's a topic which we could have covered previously we might have even covered it previously but mm. it's sort of it's come back up now they're actually fi filling the boats mm. they're filling the boats up literally yeah i'll give a brief history so uh, post-world war ii britain asked for commonwealth citizens to come and help rebuild the motherland motherland being britain <laughs> uh Many of those people came from the West Indies and many of them and their descendants were wrongly detained, denied legal rights, threatened with deportation. Some have been deported, denied benefits and medical care. Uh, some who were wrongly uh, deported have been uh, wrongly denied re-entry to the UK. The Guardian was reporting as far back as 2018 that vulnerable members of the Windrush generation are living in destitution on the streets, despite government promises to sort out the crisis. So this uh, precedes this version of the Conservative government. Um, and there was the uh, hashtag Jamaica 50. Mm. This was where 
uh, a load of people um, who were uh, from the Windrush, uh, from Windrush families, were being deported. <laughs> Pretty Patel tried to make the argument that they were serious criminals, but they did include people who had one drug uh, conviction for marijuana at the age of 17 who are now being deported. There was a drink, kind of, there was a drink driver. Uh, five years later. And of course, the brass neck to <laughs> do this when, like... Is it... It's on record that the Prime Minister was a cokehead, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, like, well, well, I will go and check and make sure that I'm not slandering well, anybody. Well, our... The, 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 one of the... Big Michael mayor, Gov was the a... The mayoral contender was, was a meth head. <laughs> Rory Stewart. He's still, outside, up in this he's, he's still trying to. He's still trying to sleep on people's floors. <laughs> Rory Stewart is trying to sleep on people's floors and be the mayor, and he's taken meth in the past. So I don't know if he's back on the meth, but he's but that, is, that my... is that is nitty behaviour. <laughs> Rory, we got fifty pound for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want you to invite me into your home. What, um, bro? <laughs> This is not happening. So, <laughs> so I, w I, I asked if we could call um, this section Windrush British Identity and Belonging. Mm. And what I wanted to do before I kind of, you know, get on my soapbox, I wanted to kind of really just shout out the Dave performance. We've talked about yeah. it. Um, uh, the, and in terms of its identity and belonging is something I've always struggled with on all of my social like you know you have to put a bio my bio was always uh, I'm a man without a country mm. um, and it wasn't just because I love that that line from the wire I align what's happened with Windrush with what's happened with Shamima Bagoon yeah. and this idea that my Britishness can be revoked at any point um, and so I never feel safe here. I've always got a backpack. Like, you just never, ever, ever know. And so I wanted to kind of, before we kind of talk about specifically how it's affected relatives mm. uh, and friends, uh, in terms of belonging and identity and this idea of Britishness um, or being somebody that lives in Britain, Alana, what does it mean to you when the government of the day is enacting kind of these sorts of policies? I think for me, I have a naturally optimistic position, right? But at this point, 2020, people thought we were gonna have flying cars. Mm. You know what I mean? It feels like 1920, mm. in the sense of the narratives in the media, the narratives around immigrants, the narratives around people that look like me, sound like me, you know, the others. Um, and I just feel like, are we not better than this? Because I think you can look at the headlines, you can look at the, you can look at all the, the articles, but then I look in the world around me and, that is not, a, um, once again, it's probably because I'm in a privileged position, um, that I'm surrounded by liberal people and willing willing people to you know to acknowledge my experience and understand it. But it's just like, come on, like, we, is this where we're at? For me, it's just frustration, mm. I think. It's, where, at what point is it gonna change? Because as we're seeing with the Jamaica 50, about Grenfell, about Windrush, like, the government has, has ample opportunity to demonstrate they're willing to, to you know, to, to be good to their citizens. Because l let's be honest, they're Commonwealth, they're citizens of the UK. Some they were raised to think that they were British. Do you know what I mean? They contribute, like, for example, my grandma came over um, just after the, the, the Windrush, um, you know, devoted her life and working life to midwifery in the NHS. And this is what's really paradoxical for me. So 
last year my grandma got an award, a civic award for her services to midwifery. At the same time, I'm reading in the papers about when, you know, people dying on the streets that are being deported. Mm. Uh, there's always going to be options. There's always going to be different circumstances, but it's obvious we should be praising these people. We should be, you know, these people rebuilt the country yeah. after yeah. the world war. A lot of people don't understand and I've just read a book called Homecoming that's on Windrush. It's a compilation of interviews with people that came over on, on the ships within that era. And one thing that was really clear to me, and I, and I got this from my grandma as well when she was explaining her upbringing, pretty much everything that happened in Jamaica up until like the 50s and beyond was with a view of, of Britain being the mother country, with Britain being home for you all, and everything within the education, the way that they held themselves, the esteem that they had all looked to Britain. So when people have been raised in that kind of way, when you come over to the country and you are not accepted, which they weren't, still are not, mm. where is home? Where is home? That's what, that's what it all comes down to for me. There is a poem, in fact, actually, that was raised in the book um, by a poet called Derek Walcott. And he said, you never guessed you'd come to know that there are homecomings without home. That is something that really rings true for the for the Windrush generation because I felt it as well. Mm. That the only home that I really know is Britain. It's a place that I was raised, a place that I've lived my entire life and I expect to live here for my entire life as well. But there's always been a, an aspect of you're not fully welcome. But you are not fully welcome. Where are you actually from, Dom? But exactly. Where are you actually from? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> from Bradford? When, when where are you actually from? When that's still being you know asked I mean? in 2020, yeah. it's, just, it's just a massive feeling of, of sorrow because... Mm. I thought that my grandma went through that so that my mum didn't have to go through that and my mum went through that so I didn't have to go through that and so on mm. and so forth. But whilst things have got better in some ways, we're just going backwards now. Mm. We're just going backwards now. These people gave their lives in certain times left their family behind, certain times they left their children behind to go in search of a better life for themselves, a life that they were entitled to because they were British. And now this is what's happening. It's ju it's just nothing but sorrow. That's all I feel with this. Mm. I mean, it's not even like they're like breaking them off any reparations. I mean, that's a whole different discussion in itself. It's like there's no acknowledgement of, <laughs> of of what they've sort of done in uprooting yeah. entire families, entire generations, tens and tens and probably hundreds of millions of people that have died, relatives of these people, and then at this point, it's like okay kind of done with you now so if you can just just get on this boat <laughs> <laughs> and, and then and that's that and it's you know it's it's a, it speaks to a lack of it's a lack of humanity and it's mm. Mm. it's uh, the is it's a funny thing because it's the Torres have just they've won loads of seats in the north and so they've broken this red wall and there's this belief that oh they're suddenly going to start becoming really liberal and doing loads of stuff for the north they they will they'll do things for votes and um, they, they, they're not they're not really too fussed about disenfranchising people mm. and getting rid of people and it, yeah it just it to me it's it speaks to lack of humanity and it's a lack of care for what that's doing to the identity of, of entire sort of swathes of people mm. like that like you say born here live here the kids live here like who 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 are you as a person then if if, the, if your country doesn't want you and, and it's weird for me like i was born here my mum's from Malawi, so it's it's very much came here by choice. But Malawi, you go to Malawi, they have three pin plugs just like they do here. It's very British mm -hmm. in in so many ways. Um, we sort of perfected the governmental corruption. Um, 
but it's 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 so it's it's very strange to sort of come here and see how they're they're treating people who essentially look like me but mm. are not me, and to sort of to see this it's it is pretty. Uh, it makes me feel strange because I'm I am British person. Yeah. I'm I'm from Yorkshire, and it, it, I just feel so conflicted over this because you know I've, I've I've it's it's not happening to me, and they they can't they. I don't think they can do it to me, but you know who's to Bar say? Bar's gonna get you. Well, this is it. This is it. You know, it's it's, it's there's no rules. Uh, there's the sort of famous sort of poem. First they came, and it's yeah. about first they came for the trade unionists, and it's mm -hmm. talking about sort of uh, Nazi fascists. Mm -hmm. They start with one group, and then it makes it easier for them to do it to another group, to another group, to another group. Mm -hmm. So well, I think that's that's another big thing. Like, what's it gonna stop at? So yeah. this current government hold pretty abhorrent views. To most, most, most others, yeah, just anyone who's not them. You know, it's if you look at the voting records on LGBT, you know, uh, LGBT rights. You look at the voting records on on um, benefits and and the support system. These people. This is what I think I find crazy is there is factual evidence these people hold content for for, for others. Mm -hmm. Yet people are willing to endorse that view because oh, they, they they're kind of like me. And I find it so strange that obviously someone growing up in a working class town in Bradford, they probably identify with Boris Johnson more than they'd identify with me, even though we face the same yeah. same challenges, yeah. same experiences, and they're willing to. I think one thing really I really struggled with the last election. I was really unforgiving of people that voted for this gov for the current government because, like, I knew what was going to happen. I saw you know you and not just that, but. Like, when are they going to stop? You know, it's that fear. It's that kind of yeah. like, well, I engage in democracy. I, I engage in the world around me and I do my best. But just on the big picture, like, it's just It's, it's the same in the States. I mean, obviously, I don't identify. I guess I, I don't identify as British, obviously. <laughs> 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 but I identify with the same struggles that you guys are talking about because it's the exact same in the U.S. And... It's funny because when I moved over here, it's like the most American I have ever felt. I actually didn't. I think my Amer American identity was really solidified when I left America mm, because I was like, it's so obvious that I'm American in contrast with all of these other places, like my culture, my identity, my beliefs, the, the place that raised me and programmed me is American. And I'm many, 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 many generations American. So... Um, which I know that experience is different than somebody who is, you know, first generation. Mm. Um, but I've never, so my sense of belonging is very strong. I feel like I have a right, like an absolute right to call myself an American and to be supported by my country. Um, but there is that sort of internal conflict when you see people who look like you and have the same struggles that you do and they're facing deportation or hate mm. or, or things that I just, I don't go through because yeah, there is that fear of, it could be me next, you know, yeah. when does it, because the powers that be, you know, th the current government that we have in the States, which is probably very similar to yours here, uh, they won't stop. <laughs> They'll go as far, they will take the racism and the classism as far as they can take it <laughs> without a full revolt happening, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, I think that at least in the States is what it's going to take is just like absolute people losing their minds and well, you revolution. Look at the, you look at the system. The mm -hmm. system is gamed 
to support these people. Yeah. You know, you look at the, the current president, he has been found guilty of, of crimes mm -hmm. and there's no consequence. Yeah. Yet someone who, you know, uh, say a Mexican immigrant got caught with a couple of, you know, a couple of bags of weed. Mm -hmm. Off you go. His life's changed, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And just that, the, the big thing for me is, as a black Briton, you know, I just inevitably feel I'm held to a higher standard. Like mm -hmm. how many, we always go back to that quote, you're gonna have to work twice as hard to get half as much. Mm -hmm. Why, you know, come on, like I'm contributing to society, I'm yeah. paying my taxes, regrettably, you know, <laughs> I'm doing all this stuff, I'm being a good citizen. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, I contribute to the world around me. But you're not afforded a second chance. Well, you? if I make one mistake, that's it. Yeah. And I think that's, it's just, it's terrifying yeah. like, at some points. I think that's, and that's why I added, included the word otherness in it. Um, because I feel that my experience being in this country is that my otherness is being forever pointed out yep. to me. Um, you've got Tottenham <coughs> riots, Windrush, the discourse around Brexit in the last decade. Uh, even if you remember kind of some of the reporting around, I'm old enough to remember, the reporting around the Stephen Lawrence murder in the 90s um, and then the follow-up McPherson report, which actually laid it out in the kind of plainest terms about systemic racism within the police. And I don't know if you saw the Stephen Lawrence documentary that was on the BBC and, you know, it reminded me again of the reporter that went undercover and looked at some of the attitudes towards the police. And obviously that's analogous with what happens in the States. Mm. Um, you know, I the, my first go round, just a quick aside, my first go round on Instagram, I realized I had to stop because basically every picture that I put up was a black American that had been killed in police custody. Mm. And I was like, this is this is just too dark. Yeah. Mm. I'm not putting comments, it's just like I just like these people exist. Mm. So and in terms of being othered in this country, my first experience of a police I, I can't remember if I've spoken about this on the pod before, but just briefly, I was ten years old and um it was uh, at my uh, granddad's house and my uh messing around with my cousins just outside of the block of flats and we used to race as like a year or two between us. He was much quicker than me, but I was older, so you know, I could just cheat. Firm it. Um, <laughs> but I remember kind of, we, we literally just race up and down the block. And I remember coming down the block and obviously my cousin was ahead of me and it was like a SWAT team. We came out, all these police, police vans, police cars. Um, I caught up real quick. Um, and <laughs> but my cousin actually made it up the stairwell back into the flat and I remember my uncles kind of come flying down and, uh, and there was um, dogs uh, tactical um, they really wanted me and my uncles were protecting me and obviously this is you're 10 years old this is traumatic mm. and Jesus. basically what it was was that they'd had reports that somebody uh, on the estate had stolen a VCR uh, an old videotape player for you youngsters around the table. <laughs> <laughs> and Call this. SWAT team. Yeah, and, uh, yeah li literally, they, they went full SWAT. And I remember, I'll never forget that one of the dogs like bit my uh, uncle's arm. That's how close they were. Um, and it was only when they, like, my uncles finally managed to communicate that I was 10 years old that they realized, oh, we probably have the wrong person. 
And this is before the IPCC. It was the PCC at this point, and nothing ever happened. If it, you know, we didn't get an apology. We didn't get anything. Um, that's my first experience, and so it was such a formative experience because I know there is this thing in um, black communities in this country where it's like you know very much kind of the NWA attitude towards the police, mm. but that's my lived experience. And one thing I grew up as a and we've all spoken about this. I grew up as a black face in a white space. And it's only when I've started hanging around other kind of groups of black guys that they're like, oh yeah, you know, that's, yeah, we've had similar experiences. Mm -hmm. And you go, well, okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the police is a, it oftentimes feels like an instrument of the state. And if it's bringing terror, how can I feel a part of this? I have, yeah. how can mm -hmm. I feel like I belong? Mm -hmm. Because I've told that story to friends that aren't black. And they always go, I don't believe you. And it's like, mm. but they don't, they don't but mean what, I don't believe you. What did you, you. do? It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> but what did you do? Yeah. <laughs> why, why, did they, yeah well, you know, why did the SWAT team You must have, you must have done something. <laughs> yeah. but, but it's like, and then I, but I remember somebody actually said that and I, said, and I went, tell me what a person can do at 10 years old that justifies that response. Mm. And I'm not friends with this person anymore. Do you know what their response was? Well, look how old the people were that killed Jamie Bolger. And I was like, motherfucker, Fucking why are you trying hell. to equate me having a race mm. with my husband, <laughs> which I lost, yeah. to like the worst thing that's, yeah. so yeah, um, the Windrush thing I think maps really nicely onto why there are so many people in this country that don't feel a sense of belonging, which can be rooted through stories like Shamima Bagoom mm. and the Jamaica 50. Mm. And there is this dislocation and, and I think that, I've been saying this in the group chat, I think we're in the middle of a culture war um, that people haven't even realized. Mm. And, it, and I think the, the Trojan horse was, there was this whole thing about, there was a war on the term woke. And it's extended no one, out. No one that I've ever come across <laughs> anywhere has used that like self-referred sin sincerely yeah. the, the entire term is it's used as like a, a mockery yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know anyone that's ever used that in a sorry Charles Gambino well yeah <laughs> but literally that that is that is like where it kind of became kind of crossed over into the mainstream mm -hmm. but and this is the thing that I kind of because I do sometimes still work in schools and Kids will kind of question me on it, and I'll, you know, they'll say, "Oh, this person's being too woke." I was like, "What do you mean?" Like that is such a powerful question. What do you mean? Like, can mm. you please explain further what you mean? Mm. Because it is the most disarming question. Because what you're saying is, I want to learn from you. I want to understand. And and what happens every time? There's nothing behind it. They've got a stance. They've got a slogan. They've got they've it's got a social justice warrior, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but I, so I think I told this story in the last pod, you know, and I'm not going to tell it again. But when Good. the <laughs> when the uh, when the uh, kids uh, year eleven boys talks about how they liked um, Boris Johnson because he was a lad, and I said, "What do you mean? Well, he's a lad. But what, what do you mean? Well, he's a lad." Like, okay, so explain yeah, what you mean. And what it, what it turned down, I said to them, I said, I think what you mean is that he's got a permission structure to say the things that you want to say. And, and, and obviously they were 16, they didn't really get it. I was like, just shut up and continue your work. <laughs> but I can't feel a sense of belonging when I know that there are a lot of people that will still want to start sentences with, I'm not being funny, but. Mm -hmm. mm. But you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not being funny, but and do you know what I mean? Oh. Standards proxies for look, I'm just not comfortable with your existence. Yeah, and if you could, if you could, like, just rein it in. not exist, yeah. Yeah. Just rein it in. That'd be great. I, I think the whole thing about the police is really 
really interesting. Um, and I think we've all probably had experiences of similar stuff. But one very recently, um, I was traveling with work. I was coming back from Newcastle Airport. And um, it's one of those moments where you're like, oh, was it just me? Mm. Uh, so I'm in full tracksuit. I've got my bags, whatever. See, that's we've got up, mate. Yeah, no, <laughs> I need to travel in a three-piece suit. Just say, <laughs> Britons have got to stop travelling in tracksuits. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I love <laughs> it. We, we, the slob. I'll die on that hill travelling in a tracksuit. Bury me no. at the top of that hill. Like that is yeah, where well, I'm staying. Do you, know, do you know the best feeling oh. that you get travelling in a tracksuit when humble brag? Work send you in business. Trust. <laughs> work send you in business and you Mate, sat there no, in the tracksuit. We need to suit. think about what we're doing. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. Not, Why not? It's not even clean. I'm here because you're here as well. <laughs> for the same reason, man. Mate, what was your point? But no, no. <laughs> so I'm literally, I'm coming up to border control and I just make eye contact with a police officer. And I just knew. I just like, so you go through border control and then there's a the police there. And I'm seeing loads of people just walk past. Mm-hmm. Mind, you know, mind your business, mind your business. And I'm talking to the border control. She's like, oh, where have you been? I was like, oh, Lisbon. Been there for a week, project with work. Oh, she's like, what do you do? Uh, I'm a designer, whatever. And um, I swear the police officer is in earshot of this conversation. Mm-hmm. So I proceed to walk past. She's like, uh, can you show me your passport? And my passport's a bit worn. She's like, oh, you put it in the wash. I'm like, don't try to joke with me. <laughs> like, is this, no. Let's just get it over and done <laughs> like, Come on, yeah. uh, where have you been? Lisbon, what for? Work, what do you do? I'm a designer for a technology company. And the bit that killed me. The bit that killed me. She's like, ooh. Like, you motherfucker, you made your mind up about me. <laughs> like, you were gonna ask me all these questions, but you didn't care. And then I go through and my colleague was at, right at the back of the plane. So I was like, Dan, I had to check. I was like, Dan, did anyone, did you see anyone else get stopped? And he's like, no. <sighs> <laughs> and I literally, I'd been traveling since the early hours. I'd been on, you know, two planes. I was just so fucked off and waiting for my baggage. And he's like, just calm down. And he's like, oh. <laughs> oh, just forget I, about it. Did you, you stop I mean? at the just, little faces you know I mean? and hit red? <laughs> <for> <laughs> just, I think it's good that when you have someone that is is not is not underprivileged and someone that is wiped in these circumstances. Because I had that once in Newcastle. I was running to meet some friends on a night out. Just running, just running, and then I met my my white friends. Yeah. And then as soon as I got to my white friends, <laughs> a police officer came over. <laughs> He's like, um, I just want to ask you a couple of questions because you've matched the description. Oh, it's the like, infamous description. I'm running because I'm, I'm trying to go meet my friends. He's like, no, you, you've matched the description. I was like, what was the description? You just saw a big black guy running. <laughs> and that, is, that is what the issue is here. And I shit you not, I just went, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, honestly, snap. honestly. And I wish oh, one that I was God. a bit more sober so I could have re- responded differently. But I was so happy that my friend saw that, that just being a big black guy running is enough to be a cause of suspicion. Calling our cars, calling our cars. I'm looking at it, get a SWAT team like you, man. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what was next up. If that was in the male. States, I might have got my clout blown up. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only difference. Yo, it's mad. Because I, I, I was telling uh, my colleague had been away on a ski trip and he'd come back from Newcastle as well. And I was like, oh, he was like, how was your journey? I was like, oh, yeah, usual bullshit. You know, got stopped by the police for no reason. He was like, oh, I, and he, I got that. They stop everyone in ten people. I was. He was referring to the survey people, in like, in like the baggage claim. I was like, man, imagine a life so blissfully ignorant of these things. But credit to credit to him because he's so willing to learn and listen. He's like, I just, I just don't. He's like, I don't understand why. Mm. And it's like, of course you don't, because you're a good-hearted, you know, clean-hearted guy. Mm. But it's just like his face when he was like, does that happen often? I was like. Yeah, well, I mean, what you're guilty of, traveling whilst black, you know, walk, running whilst black, you know. It's, <laughs> these are serious crimes that, you know, the uh, the offenders must be apprehended. Yeah. I've been stopped by police once in my life. Um, I went on a fact-finding mission to uh, <laughs> Henley Regatta. 
You know you're not supposed to be a Henry Gutman. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're not supposed yeah, to be. You forgot to put boaters on, innit? Yeah, <laughs> everyone was like, oh, you've got to go, you've got to go. Came from you, and I was like, I, I, I was like boating's not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> kind of just don't really get on with the water like that. So anyway, like this is like my third year in London. So eventually I was like, oh, fine, we'll go to this thing. So I'm in a tweed suit. <laughs> it's like 30 odd degrees. So I've already fucked up. <laughs> I'm in this tweed suit and yeah, I'm just like, I'm just like walking. There's a massive queue to get down the banking because we haven't got proper tickets. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just going to cut through these woods. <laughs> and I'm walking through the woods and then I just hear this, stop. <laughs> and I turn and then there's this big sort of, police marquee where they've got like the HQ and they're all sat having this briefing thing and they've all turned <laughs> and I'm like so I'm in a tweed suit with a tweed flat cap I'm just like oh no <laughs> and then this guy runs over and long and short of it it's like give me your ID what are you doing here what's going on I was like in case you didn't know it's like, there's a big boat race going on so I'm actually I'm just going to watch a boat race and I'd, I'd not had a, I'd had a drink by this point so I'd like full wits about me it's going through the thing I said and if I give him the ID and he's like checking it. I was like, mate, you're not gonna ring it up. I haven't got any points. I've not really had a speeding ticket. I was like, you can ring it up all day. Do you have a passport number? I know my national insurance number. And then this other guy comes over and he's just like, mate, he's like, don't worry about it. Like, he did anything wrong. And it, cause they, they were supposed to coordinate off and they didn't coordinate off. And he was literally, and then he, this other guy, he writes me up this ticket. And I was like, <laughs> and I, was, I, just, I just said, I'm not signing it. I said, I don't have to sign like, anything. I've not done anything wrong. And he was just, they just like, just threw it at me. But like this, this is uh, it's the most preposterous thing. And I, I could see if I said my friends had been queuing up to go along, and they just got to the end of this clearing, and everyone's like, "Mate, what are you doing?" I'm like, I just, I, I guess I'm about to be arrested. <laughs> but uh, I mean, this, these are the experiences that, that, like, that you sort of just take for granted, you know, on, on, a, on a day-to-day basis. So what's the hope? What's the hope? Where, where's the ray of sunshine in these in these stories about Windrush, British identity and belonging? Where's the hope? Oh, it's I, the day performance. It's Stormzy. It's it's mm. the actually at the Brit, not just kind of best urban act, but best artist are now being a black Britain. Sadly, male. Not sadly male, but mm. but male because uh, you know there's always kind of an intersectional issue. Like kind of let's be honest, Little Sim should have won Dave's award. Mm. Um, <laughs> can, can, can we say that? Can yeah, we say that? We can definitely um, say that. We can definitely um, say that. But but that's what it is. It's kind of little kids that I teach kind of are asking, like uh, spouting off these lyrics, but actually having it, you know, if they can spout off kind of Tiago Silva, they can spout off kind of letter to the prime minister. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's all from the same thing. That for me is the hope. And, but you know, even at that great moment, so Stormzy's there winning an award, you know, and he's putting out Still Disappointed, which has got these like unnecessarily misogynistic lyrics. It's like you can, cut, there are so many things you can cuss Wiley for. You don't need to kind of call his sister the things that he was calling her. Uh, mate, it, it's, I agree. However, <laughs> the war is there's, no, there's no rules. They, they, the like, they, the they, I mean, that's to, that's male culture, isn't it? They, they yeah. open that door for each other and that's what they're, that's what they're about. I agree with you. 100%, but I mean. Just, just on that as well, like the hope for me is that, you said black Britons, mm. we're getting to a position where that is that is British. British yeah, culture yeah, is yeah, influenced yeah. by black. Yeah, it always yeah. has been yeah. from when the Windrush generation first came over here. Some of the interviews that I was reading, British culture was so bland, the food was dead, the fashion was boring, mm. there were no spices, there were no colors. We, and people from Asia, we brought that into this country. Now we're so deeply embedded in this country, it's gonna get blacker and it's gonna get blacker mm, and it's gonna get blacker to the point. No, it is. Yeah, it but is. you've gotta do it by stealth. If you can say <laughs> it, 
This is the thing. Don't be so loud with it. You gotta be like England. Swat's gonna be outside. It's just gonna suddenly you just look and like, oh, they're all black or mixed. Just be, just be quiet. Bro, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it and I'm happy about it. I know you're busting off your jokes. Let me just be serious for one second. It's gonna get blacker. The music is there. The culture is there. The fashion is there. And one thing that comes to me is, and this used to piss me off. But when the day performance happened the other day, the amount of white friends that came to me, like, yo, did you see Dave? Oh, and initially I was pissed off. I was like, yo, go and have that conversation with another white friend if this is really news and whatnot. Yeah. But now I'm just like, this a is chance. being put in front of people that typically wouldn't see that. Mm. And they're engaging and they're having a conversation. The hope for me is that people like Dave can continue to open the door for people without opportunities. Yep. Like, mm. And not in the arts. Well, like white Alex from Glasgow. <laughs> Is what I was going to go on to say. I mean, forgot about him, didn't you? No, I didn't. Forgot about him. Um, no, the hope at some point we'll see a, a black fly half, a black British uh, England football manager, and and people won't lose their shit over it. Mm. But but meanwhile, you know, while the, you know, Harry Bailey's going to be the Little Mermaid, you know, it's like while well, we're still kind of getting mad at that, that we got a way to go. But when we see a black fly half, that's when I'll be like, okay, change has been made. There's going to be an island to fly off. I was listening to a podcast with Bamani Jones the other day, and it's funny. They, they was talking about the uh, they were talking about the Rock, and how the Rock identifies himself as a black man, but in America, they see him as an uh, it's an Islander. Yeah. They, they, it's a very distinction. They love Islanders. painting someone as like some Pacific Island, yeah. like. But they they won't. They won't Ooh, you're exotic. Say, oh, <laughs> well, yeah. So there's there's still that distinction there, and I think we're gonna have that. We're gonna have yeah. Manu Vanapola is probably going to be the next, the next cab off the rank. But um, I also want to see black people in in boardrooms as well. I so that's yeah. this is this that's more important. For so me. yeah, this is I guess my yeah, hope is younger, you know mm. people like us. Yeah. This is the hope. Like mm. you know, as much as we we laugh and we joke about uh, you know about about these kind of things. Like I want to walk into a room and not just be the only white face. Like when I went to this thing in Lisbon, mm. there was a very particular demographic. And it was just kind of like disheartening because mm. I love people, I love writing people, but just generally speaking, I just feel awkward. You're like, wait, should I be here? And damn right I should be. I've worked hard to get here and I do all this, but mm. it's just, come on, can we can we have some more people at the top? Can we have some more people in positions that they've been denied for so many decades, so many years? Mm. And I think we are seeing that right. more yeah. and more. We'll open the door, mate, yeah. open the but door. But that's it, smash the door open and yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's the topics wrapped up for, for this episode. We're going to finish with songs to say goodbye to in honour of our erstwhile pod mate. Peace, cough. We, you know, I'll pour some, some liquor out, but your man's <laughs> looking pretty angry with it. <laughs> <laughs> Do not want that problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, anyone got one that they want to start with? <laughs> I mean, I went, for, I went for the obvious choice, you yeah. know, boys to men, end of the road. One sweet day with Mariah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, like I said to you, he's not dead, <laughs> but he's dead to us. <laughs> um, uh, I had one, but I don't want to use that. Song. Use it.
Uh, it was Izzy Smith's Panic. I'm going to go with uh, Big Short. I don't F with you. You. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I probably would second that. I'll go with, uh, I'll go with, um, I'll go with Sorry by Beyonce because it's the first song that comes to mind and it's like, <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. We're month, we're month to month now, guys. So you're going to hear from us again. Get ready for it. Rotating cast. Not sure it's going to be here next time, but like Kangalana again. The voice of all women. Thank you. Quickly you're become welcome. a mainstay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, the jokes were made last time. The yeah. seat is open at the table. There next time, Dom won't be here. I assure you, but I will. <laughs> this is what happens when you bring one in. You. <laughs> There's only room for table. one in this motherfucker. <laughs> This is the difficulty. You, you, you create this problem for yourself, mate. <laughs> I know who the people are going to back. Uh, yeah. So thanks, Angelo. Thank you. Journey down from Hull. Thanks, Nate. Journey down from Northeast. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Dom. Journey down from Northwest London. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks again to Outset hosting us. It's, it's a lovely studio, actually. Yeah. It is a lovely studio. I question the acoustics, but I think uh, <laughs> I'm quite, quite. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. Oh my god, I need to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> we out.